I was doing some research for my presentation. I'm going to talk a little bit about central bank digital currencies. And it dawned on me that in a way, I think I've been wrong about central bank digital currencies this whole time. What I mean by that is you guys know from watching my videos that I've said that in order to have a central bank digital currency or in order to implement all the things we are worried about, you would have to have the deposits move to the balance sheet of the Federal Reserve. And I'm not going to go into why, but if they're going to issue credit based on narrative instead of merit as an example, you can't have that bank or a bank can't do that that is worried about a P&L <laughs> because you got to issue loans that people aren't going to pay back. So that's just one of the many, many reasons why in order to implement a central bank digital currency or to implement all the things we are worried about regarding a CBDC, you need to put that on one ledger because, you know, what's the, at the end of the day, what's the difference between a euro and a dollar? Nothing. It's just a number on a ledger. That's all it is. So a CBDC is not a new currency. It's just simply a consolidated ledger system. It's a new ledger system, right? And so I've been pounding the table saying, hey, guys, this CBDC, uh, CBDC thing, yeah, you got to worry about it, but you've got to understand what you're worried about. And we shouldn't be worried about a, a different currency. We should worry about those deposits going to the Fed. Okay, so let me dive into why, to a certain extent, I may have been wrong or I, I at least didn't see the whole picture. So check this out, USA Gold. Now, first and foremost, before I dive into this, have any of you tried to just Google who owns the Federal Reserve? If you haven't, it's worth five minutes of your time. It's almost impossible. Now, we all know that the banksters own the Federal Reserve, but try to go online and just play around with Google for 10 minutes or 15 minutes and figure out currently, as of 2023, which banks own stock in the Fed and what percentage? It ain't going to happen. It's very, very difficult to find. And I think that's intentional. Here's why. Let's scroll down this article. I want to highlight it, this. I don't know when this article was published, but they referenced data from 1983, which is really all we need because I, I want to present the concept to you, not just the specific numbers. So it says Mullins was an author of this report or this book that they were referencing, reported that the top eight stockholders of the New York Fed in order from largest to smallest as of 1983, Citibank, Chase Manhattan, Morgan Guarantee Trust, Chemical Bank, Manufacturers Hanover Trust, Bankers Trust Company, National Bank of North America, and Bank of New York. together. This is important. These banks owned about 63% of the New York Fed's outstanding stock, right? So what this is telling us is that the bigger the bank, the more stock they own of the Federal Reserve. Well, let's go to Wikipedia and get an up-to-date list as to which bank is the largest bank Right now, in 2023, in the United States, therefore, you would assume they own the biggest percentage of the outstanding shares of the Federal Reserve today. Oh, that would be J.P. Morgan. Weird. I never would have guessed. <laughs> and now, 
that's when you know you got too many tabs up is when you actually have to delete something to see something else. Okay, now let's go back just as a quick reminder to last week. Remember something about J.P. Morgan and First Republic in the news? I'm sure you guys might have heard, heard about it, maybe on this channel. But let's go to this article here from CNBC. J.P. Morgan Chase takes over First Republic after biggest U.S. bank failure since 2008. All right, let's get into the nitty-gritty here. The Federal Deposit Insurance Corporation, FDIC, agreed to absorb most of the losses. Whoa, time out here. What? Most of the losses? I think I thought J.P. Morgan was buying the bank. So if J.P. Morgan, as an example, if you go out tomorrow and buy a business, let's say you buy a, a McDonald's or something like that, and that McDonald's loses money the first year, takes a loss, who takes that loss? <laughs> that would be you, the owner, of the, the owner of the McDonald's. But in this case, J.P. Morgan comes in, buys the bank or buys the business, and the FDIC agrees <laughs> to take most of the losses from the mortgages, the commercial loans, which were the toxic assets on the bank's balance sheet to begin with. And then you say, okay, George, well, if I go out and buy a McDonald's, it, I still have the out-of-pocket cost, even though, I mean, that's a risk, right? Even though if I, uh, I offload some of the losses of the first year to the FDIC, Oh, yeah, well, you would have to come out of pocket to buy the McDonald's, but J.P. Morgan doesn't. No, no, no. <laughs> they go to the FDIC and just borrow $50 billion to buy the bank. And I don't even know what the purchase price was. They probably didn't even disclose that. They probably bought it for a dollar or something like that. But So they can go to the FDIC. So, again, this would be like you going out and buying McDonald's and borrowing all of the money from the taxpayers. And if the McDonald's loses money, well, the taxpayers absorb the loss. And if the McDonald's makes money, then that goes right into your back pocket. <laughs> That's a pretty good deal. Oh, but wait, there is more. The bank is JP Morgan is booking a one-time gain of 2.6 billion. Wow, fantastic. And it expects to spend 2 billion in integrated costs. Expects, well, okay. I expect to spend $2 billion over the next month, but I probably won't do that. Furthermore, the acquisition will add over $500 million of profit annually to J.P. Morgan. That, my friends, is a pretty good deal. All right, so we've got the fact that the largest bank most likely owns the majority of the Fed, and we've got the information that JP Morgan is the largest bank and we know that JP Morgan is getting all of these sweetheart deals paid for by you the average Joe and Jane we also know that there most likely will be more bank failures in the future and how many of those do you think will go over to JP Morgan my guess is quite a few they said that there was a, an aggressive bidding process for First Republic. Yeah, yeah, right. You and I both know that's complete BS. <laughs> I, mean, I mean, look, what really happened, I don't know this. I don't have any insider information, but I do have common sense, just like you do watching this video. And what are the chances that that bidding war consisted of Janet Yellen 
just calling up Jamie Dimon and saying, dude, help me out here. We're screwed. <laughs> and Jamie Dimon says, okay, well, yeah, I guess I can help you out, but I ain't paying for it. And uh, I got to make sure that whatever the deal is, I don't lose a penny. That has to be deferred to the taxpayer. <sighs> okay, fine. We'll do it. And uh, But you got to guarantee us that if any other banks fail, that you'll take them under your balance sheet. Yeah, I'll do it, but it'll have to be the same sweetheart deal or any losses are absorbed by the taxpayer and the taxpayer pays for me to buy it. Yeah, okay, fine. We'll do it. And then he hangs up with Janet Yellen, calls Jerome Powell. Oh, Jerome Powell, yeah, uh, Jamie here, your boss. Um, just FYI, I'm going to go ahead and buy First Republic and uh, any other bank that fails. And uh, yeah, with that dividend, you know, that 6% deal that you usually pay out, uh, just make sure that we get another 6% just under the table. Obviously, you know, it's just between you and I. <laughs> I mean, this is how, this is what's going on. This is the U.S. banking system. Hey, guys, I want to remind you to check out Rebel Capitalist Pro. This is the incredible online investment forum that I have with investment experts, Lynn Alden and Chris McIntosh. It includes professionals such as Patrick Serezna from Macro Voices. He specializes in options. Tony Greer, commodity trading, Jason Hartman, real estate, and Brent Johnson with macroeconomics. If you want to build wealth and thrive in this world of out-of-control central banks and big governments, Rebel Capitalist Pro is the resource you need. So check it out today at georgegammon.com forward slash pro. That's georgegammon.com forward slash pro. We'll see you inside with the fellow rebel capitalists that are taking their investing to the next level. Let's go over to another Wikipedia. This is going all the way back to 1921. But as my good buddy Simon Black always says, let's go today we're going to go back in time. And on this video, we're going back to 1922. Excuse me. I said 1921. So if you weren't aware, Gauze Bank was the official bank of the USSR. But check this out. Gauze Bank was the central bank of the Soviet Union and the only bank in the entire country from 1922 to 1991. So it was the central bank and it was the only bank. Let's just fast forward 10 years and let's just assume that we have more problems and all the banks aren't going to fail all at once, obviously, but let's just say that we continue to have these problems. I mean, we go from 2008 to 2023. I would assume it's going to get worse before it gets better. So let's just assume you had a world where in the United States, there were only two banks. It's like a Highlander movie. <laughs> You've got the Fed and you got JP Morgan, but wait a minute. JP Morgan owns the Fed. Because remember, the entirety, the outstanding shares, therefore the ownership of the Federal Reserve, would go to the Federal Reserve member banks. They own the Fed. But we know that if there's only one bank, then effectively that bank, J.P. Morgan, is going to own 100% of the shares of the Fed. So they own the Fed. So how would that be any different than Gauze Bank? It wouldn't. It'd be the exact same. Let me continue. The Soviet, the Soviet state used Gauze Bank primarily 
as a tool to impose centralized control upon industry in general. Sounds like a CBDC, doesn't it? Using bank balances and transaction histories to monitor the activity of individual concerns and their compliance with five-year plans and directives, i.e. compliance with the government and the government narrative. So just make sure we're all on the same page here. All the individuals in Russia, all the businesses in Russia, all the entities in Russia had an account with one bank, Gauz Bank. And that bank was the central bank and the only commercial bank. And what that did is it allowed Gauz Bank to monitor the transactions of every individual that had an account with that bank. So every single transaction that's occurring daily in the economy, Gauz Bank knew about it. And therefore, they could issue credit. They could issue interest rates to people that had the best, I don't know, maybe we could call it a social score, or the people who had most favor with the government. You see what we're doing here? The CBDC is nothing new at all. Russia had it in 1922. Because ask yourself the question. Just go down and and make a list of everything that concerns you about a CBDC. The top five things. It's exactly what happened in Russia all the way back in 1922. So this might not have been a digital currency, but effectively, what's the difference? There is none. So how is it? Oh, excuse me. Let me keep going here. I didn't finish. So Gauz Bank did not act as a commercial bank in in regards to profit motive. Yeah, of course. Because they just printed the money. So think about that. If you own Gauz Bank, you wouldn't have to worry about profit. Profit? Who cares? You're the ledger. You control how much currency, how many numbers are in each bank account. So if you own the ledger, you can put as many numbers in your account as you want. There doesn't need to be profit. And it would be the exact same thing if JP Morgan is Highlander. And maybe not the Fed, but at the end of the day, it doesn't make a difference because it's one and the same. Let me keep going. It acted theoretically as an instrument of government policy. Theoretically, (laughs) I think literally, instead of independently and impartially assessing the credit worthiness of the borrower. What's that saying? There's nothing new under the sun. This central bank digital currency stuff, this is not new. This is just the central planners going back and and opening up a book of Russian history from 1922. Let me keep going. Gauz Bank would provide loan funds to favored individuals, groups, and industries as directed by the central government. Again, the exact same thing that would happen under a central bank digital currency. You don't need a central bank digital currency. You don't need a digital currency. All you need is everything on one ledger. And that ledger could be the Fed or it could be J.P. Morgan. Now, let's continue to think this through. How is it that Gauze Bank could issue loans to favored individuals, groups, and industries instead of issuing loans to people that could actually pay them back? Because there was only one ledger. And if there's only one ledger, you don't need assets 
And it doesn't matter if that one ledger is the Fed or JP Morgan. You see, if JP Morgan was the only bank in the United States, it could not fail. It can't because the only reason a bank needs assets is to transfer their liabilities to another bank. Because if you're transferring those liabilities to Wells Fargo, we can't just transfer them the liabilities. You'd also have to transfer them an asset. But if you're the only bank, you never have to transfer a liability. So you literally don't need assets. <laughs> you see? And it's the exact same thing that they did in Russia in the 1920s, all the way to the 1990s, for heaven's sakes. And that's another important tidbit of information. Do you, did you ever hear about a banking crisis in Russia, in USSR? No. They never had a 2008. They never had a 2023. Why? Because they only had one bank. Well, why can't that go bust? Because <laughs> what I just told you, they don't have to transfer the liabilities anywhere. So it's impossible for them to go bust. And that's why the Soviet Union never had any banking issues. And that's why if we continue to have banking issues in the United States and all these banks continue to be absorbed by JP Morgan, it takes us closer and closer and closer to basically Gaz Bank and Russia in 1922, where even without a central bank digital currency, they had all of the power and control, they, the central planners and authoritarians, that our government would have with a CBDC. Again, why? Because the currency doesn't even matter. The CBDC doesn't matter. All it is is a number to ledger an Excel spreadsheet. The only thing that matters truly is just having that one ledger. And whether that one ledger is owned by the Fed or J.P. Morgan, who cares? At the end of the day, they still have that 1984 Orwellian type of ability to micromanage your life and invade your privacy pretty much at every single level. So where I was wrong with a CBDC is I thought all the deposits would have to go to the Fed. That isn't necessarily true. All the deposits would have to go to the Fed or just go straight over to J.P. Morgan. Because at that point, J.P. Morgan would be Gauze Bank. They would be the central bank, and they would be the only commercial bank in the United States. All right, guys, enjoy the rest of your afternoon. As always, make sure that you're standing up for freedom, liberty, free market capitalism. I'll see you in the next video.